name is Ken Smithson. I am the privilege of the pastor of the Dirty Fellowship. I'm 34 years old and I still live in Huntsville. I have been here since 06. And I can tell you this, nothing about my life has gone to plan. This was not where I imagined I would be. This is not what I thought I would be doing. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that what I'm doing is not what I wanted to do. Yeah. My dreams were too small, and my idea of the world was too sad. And my hope was to just try to suck as much joy out of it as I could before I died, and I got bad at it before I died. And then I wondered, what am I going to do with my life? And then, Huntsville. And then Huntsville. And I, I wasn't the easiest of Kai Alpins. I wouldn't have even called myself a Kai Alpin for a large part of the time that I was in Kai Alpins. I was too big of a rebel. I didn't want anything to label me but me. And I argued, I knew the Bible better than a lot of people in Kai Alpins because I had the privilege of growing up in church. My father was a youth pastor. I went to church way more than I ever wanted to go. I listened to sermons with the wrong attitude, getting information with the wrong spirit, using it as weapons against Christians, all while trying to serve myself and wondering what was going wrong. And then I ended up broken, sad, lost, and not knowing what I was going to do. And the title of the sermon is The Unknown God. We had been going through a series on Acts, and they said, well, okay, what do you want to preach on? And I was like, well, I like philosophy. I like, I like, I like the, uh, I get along great with potheads. Asking like, the deeper questions, like, like, how do you know the color red is red and not green? And what, what does blue taste like? And I, I get these conversations. Those were my friends. And I still, I still, I still think that way. So if you have your Bible or if you're a phone user, um, you can pull it up to me, Acts 17, verse 22, the very starting time. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, 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 that place, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. What if Paul was wandering around St. Houston today and was just getting the lay of the land as, as Paul, the Apostle Paul, has showed up to Huntsville, Texas, to be a missionary to you, and as he walks around the campus, could he say the same thing of Sam Houston? You might say, no, Americans are under, if anything, we're becoming post-Christian, we're becoming post-religion, we are the emerging liberal view where we have science and matter and money, and in those things we have all we need except for we're still miserable. Maybe more money, maybe more science, maybe one more article, and then you'll have peace. But we've been going that way for a while, and how does it look? Are we better off this 
easier than we were 10 years ago? Are you happier? Are you more whole? Are you put together? Does the universe make more sense today than it did? We still have this altar to the unknown God where we have this thing that we talk about all the time and we'll come up to it and we'll just say, I don't know. It's like if you ask anyone about Jesus, the most common answer you'll get is, I'm an agnostic. Which is really an answer of, I'm lazy. And I don't really know what I think about it. And if I say it agnostically, you'll leave me alone. Because you think it's a religion. But it's not a religion. It's an answer of, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But if I say yes, that means things. And if it says no, then that also means things. So I don't know is a better answer. And we're like, oh, okay. That only makes sense to people who are walking with an unknown God. And we're like, yeah, me too. Me too. And I only know a little. So when we talk about these things, what I've noticed when I'm speaking with people is very often the problem with Christians and non-Christians, the problem that you might be facing right now is you've had tests that's been revealed the fact that you don't know a lot. Your grades are, uh-oh. Uh, I didn't do so swift on that thing, and turns out that you can't contract who and are. Who or is that an appropriate contraction? I learned that on a paper one time. I say it all the time. Who are you? See, birds, birds, birds in my head. So we have this altar of the unknown God. All while we have our altars of gods that we do know, that we get great pleasure in. Right. Yeah. And I would say this, St. Houston, we are very religious. We're, if anything, we are becoming more religious than ever. Just walk through half price books and look at the sections, and it's spirit, 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 spirit. The stories we're reading, the movies that are coming out, are all about supernatural powers that are coming from a universe that is not material and intersecting with the human world, and it fascinates us. Yeah. It fascinates us. Right. Until you mention the name Jesus. And you're bored. We will watch movies about it, as long as it's not about Jesus. We will watch about demons and hell with entertainment. When you talk about God, I'm like, no, we want something real. We want something believable. We want something cool. We're very religious. But it's like, so Athens was called the city of a thousand gods. There's this man, Epimenes, who we'll talk about again, who coined this phrase that you can find more gods in Athens than men. And I would say we're like that. But what are our altars look like? We don't, we don't have the, the columns anymore or the statues of Zeus, but we have some temples. Look at this picture. Who knows what this building is? Oh, 
And our property tax by 1%. And the people had the choice. They're like, yes, bring the temple. We want it. All the while, the education bond failed. Things you don't know that you didn't know. Yep. If you look into it. The Cowboys are the most valuable sports franchise on planet Earth. I was surprised. I thought soccer, Manchester United, some of these things would. It's the Cowboys. Jerry Jones may not know how to build a football team, but he knows how to build a business. They turned over their weapons, 
and then the king slaughtered the entire army. Immediately after this, a plague emerged, and there was this priestess who was like, hey, there's an angry God. He saw what you did, and he's furious. He's furious. And they're like, well, who is it? And she's like, I, I don't know. So they made sacrifices to all of the thousands of altars, and the plague stayed, and they panicked. They're like, what do we do? And so there is a ruler who's like, hey, we know this guy named Epimedes. He's a, he's a learned man. He's, he, he's, he just sees things and knows things that other people don't, but he's a foreigner. No. We're Athens. We're the cradle of knowledge. Like, surely we have everything we need. The last thing we need is an outsider. And they're like, well, do you know the answer? They're like, fine, bring them. They bring them, and this guy shows up. And he walks around and he's like, wow, you've got a lot of temples. you got a lot of gods. you got a god for everything. you got a god for rain, a god for sun, a god for drought. Whew, it's a lot of work. Um, maybe that's part of your problem. But we'll deal with that later. So he's like, he had three presuppositions. Presupposition one was, so there's a god who you don't know about. That's mad at you. They're like, yes, that's correct. And they're like, okay. And this God is big enough and strong enough to be able to impose a plague on the entire nation. And the reason why he did it was because you have a corrupt king. So he must be good. And they're like, yes, that makes sense. Okay, the God's actually mad at us and we deserve for, to be mad at because we killed an entire army under a pretense of a lie of showing mercy. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. He's like, so. Our only hope is, is that this unknown God, who's great and strong enough to impose a play on the entire nation, would be the kind of God that if we acknowledge our fault and petition to this unknown God, that hopefully he would have mercy on us. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, so we'll do this. He's like, I need you to get some sheep, get a whole flock of sheep, make them different colors, and then don't let them eat. Starve them. And in the morning, we're going to go to a field, and we're going to release this field into this perfect green grass. And the people were laughing. They're like, sheep, they're going to, like, what, what do you It's like, so any sheep that lies down, we will say that is an offering to this God. Like, no sheep's going to lie down. This is perfect green grass. We didn't let them eat. They're going to eat all day. And they released the flock, and instantly some of the choice rams lay down, and the whole crowd gasped. Because these are shepherds, they do this all the time. This never happens. And so in their place, they built this altar to an unknown god. Agnosto Deo is what they put on it. To the agnosto, agnostic, it's the same word. To the unknown god. And the plague went away. And the people were amazed that there was this god that they didn't even know his name, but had the power to interact in their life. And so they had the temples, but that wasn't enough. They had all this religion, and it wasn't enough. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this force person they didn't really know anything about who cared about justice and when petitioned would forgive them. And so they made these altars, and what happens with time is the people forgot. They forgot about the story. Yeah. And then one day, this old man who was there saw what was happening to these altars and petitioned the city council and said, hey, we need to preserve one of these altars. And they're like, why? We have so many. We have thousands. 
What's so special about this one? And his answer was, perhaps one day this God might reveal himself to us, and we could be done with all the others. Perhaps one day this unknown God might reveal himself to us, and we might be done with this system that isn't working. Like, all right. And so they did it. And then Paul shows up and walks up and sees this altar to the unknown God. He's like, y'all have all these temples, but let me proclaim to you this unknown God. And the dream of that man came true. The dream of that man came true. Now, the fun thing about knowledge is that it was an unknown God. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to walk through something, and this is very helpful for you because when I talk to people, usually the question is, I don't know. I don't know. As if your problem is about the things that you don't know. What I have learned is that most of your problems come from things that you do know. So this is you. You're that circle. Keep little white dot. Oh, by the way, ladies, y'all look great tonight. Y'all look very beautiful. Um, it made me really happy. Just like point. Y'all are made in the image of God. And I'm sorry that society makes you think that you're to be used. But you're actually a reminder of our team. And tonight, we all see it and take it as a great reminder that it is. But in the circle, inside of it, that white, all the white are the things that you know that you know. So your name, do you know your name? You know, you're like, well, I don't know my name. Like, what, what, what do I know? Right? It's like, I know my name is Kent. How do I know my name is Kent? Well, my parents told me, and they, they named me. And as of late, parents still have the authority to name children, but that might be changing. Um, but, and I was born in Beeville, but it's currently named Beeville, but maybe someone will change that name too. Um, and I know two plus two equals four, unless you're on a base three system, and then it equals 10. Um, there's the things that you know that you know. You're like, okay, cool. Then on the outside of it, is the stuff that you know that you don't know. You might be like, what's a base three system? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Or, uh, I know that I have a check engine light on my car, but I don't know how to fix it. Or, you got a test tomorrow, and I don't know anything about it. Right? There's the things that you know that you don't know. The circumference is where fear usually comes from. But watch this. Watch what happens when the circle gets small. When you know that you know very little, you also have a tiny circumference, which means that you don't know, you think that you know almost everything. So arrogance and pride usually comes from people who know very little. Because there's not very much that they don't know. There's not very much they don't know because there's actually very little that they actually do know. And so they're so confident that they're dealing with very little substance. And what happens with this? When the circle gets big, what happens to the circumference? All of a sudden, you've learned all these things, but everything you learn, there's more questions. You learn something, and all of a sudden, you're aware of even more that you don't know. 
your calculus and I didn't even know what that meant. And all of a sudden now I have these questions about derivatives and integrals where it's like, I had a car and I didn't know how to change tires and all of a sudden you have these questions or I didn't believe in right and wrong and now I do and I don't know what's proper. Right. But I think there is proper, but I know that I don't know it. And so as you actually learn, there is a natural humility because the people who have actually been learning are the most aware of everything they don't know. They don't feel proud, they don't feel smart, they feel stupid. Because they're, they're, they're aware of so much they don't know. And you're like, you might be struggling with becoming a Christian, you look at the Bible and you're like, I just look at it and I'm haunted by all the questions that I can't answer. And so you say nothing. It ought not to be like that. That's right. If anything, the people who are aware of what they don't know are probably the people we want to hear from. Yeah. Because yeah. it means you've actually been learning, you've actually been thinking, you've actually been questioning. Mm-hmm. And it takes work. It's hard. It's like working out. This is like your brain is harder to develop than abs. We know how to get six packs, take some crunches, take a little calorie counting. Yeah. Getting a six-pack is easy compared to learning. And that might be sad news to you as we came to St. Houston hoping for an easy ride for deployment. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out, even St. Houston is winning. (laughs) And then and then there's out here. The black is everything that you don't know that you don't know. I say what? So, zero AD, people didn't know they didn't know what NASA was. People didn't know that they didn't know about viruses. They didn't know that they didn't know um, that the gas prices were going to go up. They didn't know that they didn't know that uh, Will Smith was going to embarrass himself. But still won an award. And we'll get him a standing ovation. They didn't know all this stuff. So, this makes talking complicated when you can acknowledge there's things that you don't know that you don't know. So when you make a claim like, there is no God, in order for you to be able to assess that, you're making a claim about all knowledge and saying that in all possible answers, there's no possible way that there is a God. So you're actually making an assertion that you are all-knowing. Claims like that are sweeping statements, and sweeping statements are very hard to defend and are very easy to dismantle, which if you get in an argument with me and you make a sweeping statement, I'm going to lawyer you and you're going to get annoyed. I can't stop myself. It's breaking my life. So, remember, the issue isn't what the things that you don't know. The issue isn't the things that you know that you don't know, but even the, you're not even thinking about it. Right. The issue is the questions that you currently have that you know that you don't know that's attached to something that you know that you do know. Like, I believe in truth, but I don't know what's true here. Right. Or I believe in right and wrong, but I don't know what's right here. 
I believe that marriage is a good thing, but I don't know who I'm going to marry. I believe in life, and I know that I don't understand death and what happens after I die. Right. Yeah. I believe in purpose, I just don't know what mine is. The altar to the unknown God in your soul. And it's your least favorite place to go to. Because it makes you think and ask questions that are painful. And this altar is to a history that you may not have even experienced. Like most of our names have meaning that goes back to God. Mm-hmm. You look at the meaning of your name, it's like, oh, it's like a Christian name. Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Like, I mean, the city name, like, it's like, there, there is God's message to you is laced in everything if you'll just look a little bit. Just look a little bit. Just do a little research. What is this thing on? What? Lucy, my daughter. Her name means light breaker. And her middle name means grace of God. We named my daughter on accident. The light and grace of God. But when you look at her, you can actually see it. God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries for dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Guess what? It's actually not far from each one of us. Now you like say, okay, Kent, I see the Bible saying that, I hear you saying that, but I have not experienced that. That has not been my experience. That actually can't be true, because if that was true, then my life would be very different if God was near. This benevolent, great God was near me. My life would not be going at all the way it's going. That's only true if God's in control of everything that's happened to you. Is God in control of everything that's happened to you? Right? Who put that shirt on you? Want to blame God for that? Don't blame God for your passion sense. (laughs) (laughs) That's hard. Who didn't brush your teeth this morning? You blame God for that too? Who didn't study? Is that God's fault? And now you're praying and he didn't give you a name. It matters. Those are, those are trivial matters. What about not trivial matters? For me, it started in high school. My junior year of high school, my best friend died in a car wreck. Four inches would have saved his life. God, couldn't you have moved the car four inches one way or the other? He's driving a Corvette, a Jeep, got impatient. He's going through the turning lane to pass around him, and he was turning into Taco Bell. The bumper of the Jeep Wrangler hit his head directly because he was in a Corvette and it was a lifted Jeep. Freak accident. 
the 15 mile an hour car ride. And then it was Kristen Groom, a lifeguard that I worked with at a pool that no one came to, so we were bored, but we, we got paid money to sit and watch blue water with no people in it. Got to know her very well. She committed suicide, she didn't come to work one day. Turns out that one night she had pulled a prank at an overpass and had thrown a rock over and hit a car and broke the windshield. The cop was mad, told her they had killed somebody. She felt so guilty she went into her life. Wasn't true. God, why did that happen? Brad Ormsby, family was a train wreck. Parents told him that he hated them, wrote them a hate note, ended his life. Some of my good friends that were some of the wealthiest people I've ever met, always laughing, always smiling, had everything that we could want. The number two people of Bayer. Wealthy, wealthy people. They got divorced, shattered the family. They didn't have enough. And I'm going to God, what is like, how does this, how does this world work? Like, nothing really seems to be adding up. Like, what's going on? And I'm confused, and I'm, I'm like angry. I've got real questions. I'm going to church, and I'm like saying, Ken, just don't cuss. Just don't cuss. As long as you don't cuss, everything will be fine. Don't drink, don't cuss. The problems will go away. It's not working. I can't be good enough to fix me. I'm not even convinced that me cussing is what's causing all this. And I'm like angry and I come to college like wrestling, like I'm feeling my way around life and I'm not happy with the way the answers are coming. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm walking away from God. And then I get a call that my grandma had a stroke. She was in the hospital. My grandma was a holy lady. I went to the hospital, and if God would have showed up, I'd just punch them. I was just, I, I, genuinely, I was angry. I would have assaulted the king of the universe. I would have been just like Mary. Where were you when Lazarus was dying? Had you been here, and things would have gone differently. You're either evil, or you don't care, or you're impotent, but whatever you are, I'm mad at you, and I'm done with you. You ever had that moment? I haven't had a bad life. There's probably people in here who can one-up me a thousand times over. And I acknowledge that. But the altar to the unknown God is still present and it's haunting me. Nobody's mad at Bigfoot for not coming to your rescue. Nobody's mad at Superman for not showing up to save you from a fallen building. There's something inside you that's mad. Disappointed, frustrated, sad, grieved that this thing that you feel like should have been there and wasn't. And all I can say is I don't know. I can see it, but I don't know. I have a, a man crush on a dead man. It's MCS Lewis. He wrote a book, it embarrassed me greatly. Um, the Horse's Boy. I've been hanging out with Kyle, but I've been arguing with these people. They didn't know the Bible very well, but they were holy. Like, I, I would sit at lunch 
and watch people live what I had read like I had never seen before. But I knew that life was better than them. And so I would, I would trick them, like, like, do you believe in karma? Like, no, we don't. Like, well, you're even too subtle. Like, oh, I guess we do believe in karma. All while knowing that it's not worth it. But I, I was, like, just pestering these people. So I was mad that, like, they, they were ignorantly holy and following Jesus, and I knew more than they did, but was mad at God. And their life was better than mine. So they, one of my friends was like, hey, you need to read the Chronicles of Narnia, the whole series. And I was like, that's a kid's book. And he was like, well, have you read the Bible? I was like, I already read the Bible once. He said, oh, you got it all figured out from one read. I like, yeah, what, what, what else you got? I already read the Bible. And he's like, wow. He's like, what? A man named Mr. Scroggins. He's like, so you're telling me that this is a book that people have spent their entire life studying and are still not quite certain that they understand everything in it. But in one read, you got it mastered. Like, yeah, it's boring to you. And he's like, you're an idiot. You're <laughs> <laughs> an idiot, and I was, and I was angry. And he was like, well, read the Chronicles of Narnia. It's like, it's, it's a lot of the same truths, but it's going to be more at your level for a four-year-old. It's fun to read, so I did it. <laughs> and in geology, failing out of school, before class, I'm sitting in the leisure building, one of those benches, and I have this book out. And I read this. I got to the story. And it's Shasta's the main character, and he's had a terrible life, things are not been going his way. And all of a sudden, this ghostly thing shows up and it's freaking him out. And that's where we are. Once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing on his hand and face. There, it said, that is not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. Shasta was a little reassured by the breath, so he told how he had never known his real father or mother. He'd been brought up sternly by this fisherman. He told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives and all the dangers of the man. This night among the tombs and how the beast howled at him in the desert and he told about how the heat, how he was thirsty, the desert dirty, and how they were almost at their goal when another lion chased him and wounded Erebus, and how also ever so long it had been since he'd had anything to eat. I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta? There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I told you there were at least two the first night, and there was only one. But he was swift of foot. Well, how do you know that? I was the one. And Shasta gapped with an open mouth, probably thinking, you monster. And said nothing. The voice continued, I was the lion who forced you to join the Argus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear to make the last mile so that you should reach the king in time. I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near to death so that it could come to a shore where a man sat wakeful at night to receive you. Well, so then it was you who wounded Erebus? It was I. Why did you do that, child? I'm telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but their own. 
myself, said the voice, very deep and low, as if the earth shook. And then again, he said, myself. Loud and clear and gay. And then the third time, myself. But whispered so softly that you could hear it, but yet it seemed to come from every direction and from the leaves and the rocks underneath his feet. Shasta was no longer afraid that the voice belonged to something that would eat him, nor that it was the voice of a ghost, but a new and different sort of trembling came over him. And as I read that, I, I wept, and wept and wept, and they would go on to talk, and then, and then the lion would walk away, and the mist would clear, and he would realize that even in that moment, the lion was walking, protecting him from a cliff that he almost fell and died from. And I just wept. And then I got up and went to geology. I said, are you okay? Did someone die? I said, no, I'm just reading a book. <laughs> just reading a really good book. She's like, did you go to the bathroom? And I was like, probably. <laughs> It'll take me a moment. I hadn't thought about the fact that there might be other ways of interpreting the same data. I was so sure that I had the world figured out. I was so sure that I knew God had him sized up and was left unwanting. And it was shocking to me to find out that God was even better than I thought. Yeah. And the jerk of the story, yours truly. <laughs> That's not good news. But actually, it's the best news. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was dealing with truth, finally. And hope was actually possible. And it wasn't irrational hope, it was real hope. Wait, so there's a king, and he's good, and he's strong, stronger than me, smarter than me. Great, I'm screwing everything up. So remember the circles. There was me, there was Jesus, and for a long time, Jesus existed out into the realm of the unknown to me. I had decided that religion was a waste of time, and Christianity was a waste of time, and I thought reading the Bible was like reading a history book about George Washington, but reading about dead people, which is interesting, but George Washington isn't going to help me today, and I had problems and I needed real answers. And then this thing happened, Kai Alpha, you jerks, <laughs> look what you did to me. All of a sudden, they start bringing these things to my attention. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about this. Like, what do you, what do you think? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was thinking around. They're like, why are you so different? And all of a sudden, I was hanging out with these people, and I had all these questions that I didn't have answers for. I didn't like it. And then, it got worse. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, seeing these things. I saw a person, like, babble. That was weird. Like, what did I just have? Like, oh, he's speaking in tongues. Like, yeah, y'all are crazy. <laughs> look at your Bible. It's right here. Well, look at that. It's there. <laughs> just looking around, like, trying to figure out, like, what's going on? And it felt like this pressure that was definitely on the outside of me was starting to encase me. And I knew how to be a Christian, but this was something totally different something totally different. This was a living presence that when I was alone in my room was bothering me. I felt guilty for eating my roommate's last piece of pizza and I was totally alone. 
And where's Abby? Abby Potts is all of a sudden. <laughs> Verse 11. There's this man, Salim, who came and taught at Kyle Bo at the end of the semester. I had been skipping because I was well. That was me. Um, and he did a gospel presentation. And he's a great storyteller. But the gospel presentation he did was like everything cheesy that I hated from church. He pulled out these three pieces of cloth, and there was like a red cloth, and then God got a hat. And then there was a white cloth, and there was a black cloth, and like every ounce of bitter church kid inside of me was like, boo, <laughs> boo, like I was like so mad. And he's halfway through this thing that I've heard a hundred times, and my legs start bouncing uncontrollably. I'm like, stop, stop, what's, what's going on? And he's going on and on, and my heart's racing, my hand's sweating. I'm like, God, no, you're not going to use this man. Not this cheesy demonstration that I already know what he's going to say. Don't use this. And my hands are shaking, and my heart's breathing, and all of a sudden I don't care anymore. I'm afraid I'm going to die. I'm like, what? <laughs> I love you. Won't you come home? Just like that, my wall came down, and there was a little bit. And what I started with was, Jesus was good, he was alive, because he's talking to me, or gone completely insane, which it might be a better answer for you, because then it means you don't have to deal with it. Or, it's true. And God will talk to you. You're going to have to deal with that information. So what I started with was Jesus was good. And there's another piece of my story that involves abortion. Abortion was bad. Everything else was to be debated. I've heard preachers preach. I'm not just going to trust the preacher if they say something. Because they can say something and go to the opposite. Right. Yeah. Right? Y'all don't know how I live my life. What was I doing last night? Right? I'm not here to talk about me, though. There's a presence that's been in your life. Yeah. He's been bothering you. Yeah. And when that happened, there's a crack. But all of a sudden, I realized, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, and I had been learning and learning and learning and asking questions and asking questions and asking questions. And they were like, hey, we want you to lead a small group. And I was like, no! <laughs> I'm in it! I have all these questions, reading and reading and reading, and I know we're even near to at the end, and I'm not going to talk to anybody about Christianity, because all I know is that there's all these things that I thought I knew that I don't know. And I was like, hey, just write down a list of things that you do know. And I did it, and he was like, yeah, that's enough for somebody. Do it. <laughs> and I was so plagued by fear of knowledge. I, I wanted... I wanted to get totally around the idea of God before I, before I started proclaiming. Before I, like, if you're going to street, who wants to go street preach? Like, you stand up there, well, you're going to be scrutinized. Like, what if someone asks you a question, you look silly, and you embarrass people, and then God is, is mocked, and, and then that's not going to happen. All right? The more I learned, the more I realized, well, God's infinite. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The more I studied 
the more I realized that I wasn't anywhere close to being done. Right. And then, and then I realized I wasn't studying this thing that I was going to get totally around. It's so big. That's a circle. I had a lot of fun making that. That's one circle. It just doesn't fit. It just keeps, keeps going. Right? Just keep going. And the more you learn, the more you get enveloped into God. Right. Yeah. And the end goal is that one day we would be sanctified and be totally inside of the circle. And with it, you'll realize that you grow. That was the dream of Jesus. Be perfect for I am perfect. Be holy for I am holy. Now we see in part, but on that day we will see fully. So you might be in process somewhere. But what I say to you is that the altar of the unknown God has been put in your life on purpose to haunt you. It's there on purpose so that you don't get the excuse to think, I'm not going to do this. But yet you keep something. Let me tell you this. You think God just now started pursuing you? He didn't start today. It started before you were born. In every moment of every day, God has been desperate, desperately pursuing you. Perhaps hoping that you might feel your way towards him. The only obstacle between you and this amazing father is you and your wicked heart. Again, that's me. Don't say that. Well, let it not be true. Nothing would make me happier than for you to actually not be a wicked person. And he's constantly surprised by your commitment to self with the end result of harm and harming others. All while he's offering you peace, life, laughter. He's the father of joy. He's the father of beauty. He is the river of creativity. He's the source of love. And the thing that I wanted more than anything else was this word called peace. And when I was ignorant and lost, I used to come to Kaiapa and I would sit on the very front row while the worship band practiced. And it was the only place that I felt still. And I, and I would come almost for that moment. Because it was the only place where the darkness left me alone. And I felt rest. Not sleep. I, I was getting too much of that. It was the only place where my soul was like, The altar to the unknown God was put there so that one day God might reveal himself to you. And perhaps the God of your history would be the only light that would make the entire story, your entire story, the ups, the downs, the bad moments, make any kind of sense. Am I going to say that you understand everything that happened? No. That's not the point. The point is not for you to become an all-knowing being. 
The point is for you to know one all-knowing being. The point is not for you to become God and you to become all-powerful. The point is for you to worship an all-powerful being. And you will never, ever, ever be at peace. You think death will put you to peace? Not if you're not with God. It doesn't end. If anything, what scares me the most is that you might be sealed in your current state forever, becoming darker and darker, more and more selfish. If the last two years is your trajectory, how many more years do you want it to go on? What would happen if you lived for another thousand? What would happen if you lived for another ten thousand? What kind of person are you becoming? Are you becoming more selfish? Becoming more bitter? More angry? Got a list of rights the size of Mississippi? But someone better not cry. Oh, they know that I, I, my volume can't be that loud. I'm mad. All while God the Father has been pursuing you. It goes on to say that we are his offspring. You are a child of God. And your soul will never be right until you come home. And I'm sorry that it took so long for the information to get your ears. But you hearing it isn't good enough. The question isn't what is real. The question is what will you submit to? Jesus, Lord, I pray for all of my friends in here that would consider themselves agnostic. Meaning, I don't know. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're like. I don't know what your name is. I don't know if it's the God of Muhammad or the God of Jesus or the God of the Jews or, or Shintoism. Like, there's all these religious choices. And Jesus, I feel like my life is on the line. I'm on a bridge and everyone's giving me suggestions. Believe this, 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 this. And I just don't know. But I gotta jump. And I'm so scared of believing into the wrong truth. God, we pray that right now that you would illuminate the truth. Yes. That you would give them a conviction of what is actually real. Yes. Of what is true. Of what their true name is. Of who their true identity is. Of what their real purpose is. Of what their life could be like if they would only submit to you. You know, I also pray for all of my friends in here who have been hanging out in the Bible, who have been hanging out with Kai Alpha, who have been listening to the truth of Jesus, and have gotten them to this fear of I only, I'll start doing these things when I know more. And when I know enough, then I'll be able to help people get saved. And when I know enough, then I'll be able to help my friends who have questions. And if only I knew more, then so-and-so wouldn't have walked away from the Lord. And if only I had studied and read more, then maybe my parents would still be together. And if only I knew more, and we created an altar of knowledge, all while knowing that we never had enough. God, it's not about how much we know. It's about who we know. And there's so many questions that I have no idea how to answer Jesus. But I know this. While I was a sinner, you pursued me. 
When I was a rebel, angry and mad, you died for me. You loved me. And I didn't want it, but you offered to put me back together. And you gave me a community better than I deserved. You gave me brothers. 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 Who loved me more than I loved myself. And that was just a mere shadow of a God. Who loves me more than I can love anything. Jesus, we just ask that the God, the unknown God, that the altar to the unknown God would be torn down, and that we might today worship the living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of my grandparents, the God of our history, the God who was there with me in the hospital, who was there with me at the funerals as I looked for somewhere to cry, I just poured my heart and soul out into your lap. You've always been there when I needed you. It's me who's been unfaithful. God, I just pray that those walls would come down and that we might start with something. Some part of living truth and from there be transformed into the image of Christ and become more and more like you. So ultimately one day that we can be clean, holy, with no sin in us. Imagine what it would be like to live a life where you are not the reason why other people feel hurt. Imagine what it would be like to go to bed and just be in peace. And to walk by a mirror and see your face. And instead of feeling insecurity, you feel the love of God. And when you see a sunrise and a sunset, you just thank the Creator instead of wondering why you exist in such a broken world. Would you love you? Would you call our names so that we can feel our way towards you? And then we pray. Amen.